turning out to be a very good morning. Hearing those testimonies of the baptism is worth the price of admission right there. Turned out to be a very good morning. It's also good because we are ending what I like to call the uh, summer of sabbatical today. For those of you who are visiting or haven't been here in a long time, our pastor, Pastor Jeremy, has been on a sabbatical for the balance of the summer. And that is drawing to a close. In fact, he comes back to work tomorrow morning. So I'm sure I speak for him when I say, if you've had any thought or any question or anything that's just been on your mind at any point in time during the summer, call him tomorrow. (laughs) He's back. That's what he's here for. It's an interesting time in the church's life when a pastor takes a sabbatical leave. Uh, the time of a lot of questions. I'm sure you've had a lot of questions. I'm sure one of them has been sort of maybe me. You know, and, uh, I know. Don't lie. I realize it. I know some of you are thinking, you know, what in the world is Mark going to be like? I mean, Seth and Rich, you know, you trust their teaching, but uh, what about the smart guy? Should you go boating? Should you go to the beach instead? What should you do? And I understand that. And I know that some of you think I merely got the job because of my good looks. I realize that. You know, I realize that. But, you know, I've had questions, too. I had questions about you. What would you be like? I mean, some of you have had in Sunday school class, so I know that the, uh, the Lord has endowed some of you with the ability to endure my... Uh, quirky style and sense of humor, but I didn't know about the rest of you. So I had questions of you. My wife, she had questions. Those are more likely would I remember to make sure, you know, my fly was zipped before I got up on body. But she had questions. We all have questions during this time. You know, but this summer has provided a lot of answers. Actually, one answer. One answer to all the questions we can ever have about the life of And that is that God is in control. From the beginning to the middle to the end of the life of a church, God is in control. The church doesn't rest in the hands of one person or a collection of people. The church rests in the hands of God. And today as we finish up our study of Philippians, Paul is reminding his beloved church at Philippi He's reminding them of the same thing. That it is the Lord. It is the Lord in whom they rejoice. It is the Lord in whom they follow. So turn with me one last time to Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 4. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1163. Philippians 4, starting with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen. So Paul is wrapping up. He's wrapping up this letter to the Philippians. And it's kind of fitting that he starts with joy. Joy has been sort of the distinctive characteristic of this epistle. In fact, it's often called the epistle of joy. It runs throughout. So it's fitting as as Paul is drawing to a conclusion, as he is summarizing everything he's been talking about to this beloved church of his in Philippi, that he starts with joy. But now, joy should not just be the distinctive mark of one book. It's actually the distinctive characteristic of a Christian. Or it should be. Joy. Joy defines the kingdom of God. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Our lives are joyful. And this joy, this unmitigated joy, finds its expression in our rejoicing. The idea of, you know, that that solemn, serious-faced Christian, you know, who, who comes to church because church is a serious matter, you know, and there's no smile on that person's face. I mean, that's, that idea developed over time. It's, it's not what's in the Bible. We're to be coming to church with joy. Well, not just church. We're not just to rejoice in church. We're to rejoice always. Rejoice always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, there's no exceptions there. There's no wiggle room. There's no time when you can't be rejoicing. You are to be rejoicing at all times. Now, that means when you're suffering. That means when you're facing hunger, poverty, hardship, loss, mourning. We're to rejoice. That is the defining characteristic of a Christian. Now, that's hard. And perhaps you're sitting there and you're thinking, Mark, with what's going on in my world right now, there ain't no way. I can't rejoice. So maybe we would do well to be reminded just of what Christian rejoicing, Christian joy is. Look what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Christian joy, our rejoicing is in the Lord. It's not in circumstances. That's how the world rejoices. The world rejoices in the moment. 
in a moment that has happened in which some benefit or some gain occurred. We do not rejoice in our circumstances. Our moments are not the focus of our rejoicing. Because if they were, then we couldn't be joyful at all times. We rejoice in the Lord. I was reminded during these testimonies of why we rejoice in the Lord. A Christian knows that God sent His Son to die for us, that we might be saved. We rejoice for what the crucified one did on the cross. We rejoice because of what Christ is doing in our lives. We rejoice because we know that He is coming again. Our circumstances change. God does not. We rejoice always because we rejoice in the Lord. Now this isn't looking for the silver lining in difficult circumstances. This isn't that idea. Or looking for some crutch to get you through. It's about what is your focus in life. And if it's in the Lord, you can't help but rejoice. So Paul's talking to these Philippians. He's ending this letter by reminding them to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then he seems to offer another characteristic. Look at verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. So at first glance, it seems that Paul is saying, okay, the Christian life should be characterized by rejoicing, and then it should be characterized by gentleness, as if they're two separate ideas. But I think that sort of misses the point. You see, the pattern of this whole letter, as we've been looking at it, this pattern of this whole epistle, is that our doing, our doing is the result of our being. That because we focus on the Lord, our life manifested. And I think that's what's happening here. I don't think gentleness is a second characteristic. I think it's actually the result of rejoicing in the Lord. The result of focusing in the Lord. That when we rejoice in Him, when He is our focus, how we treat others follows accordingly. I mean, this has been the idea behind a lot of what we've looked at. That when we seek Christ, we become like Christ. And how did Christ treat others? Wasn't it Christ who in the very nature God did not deem equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking on the nature of a servant. Wasn't it Christ who, when he was insulted, did not retaliate? Wasn't it Christ that when he was beaten, did not strike back? Wasn't it Christ that when he was suffering, did not threaten, but trusted in the Father? So should we. 
If we are rejoicing in the Lord always, if we are looking at what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do in our lives, if we are doing that, how we treat others will be like Christ. We will treat others in gentleness. People should not feel used by other Christians. People should not feel intimidated by Christians. Our life, how we treat others, shows Christ. Gentleness is not, not weakness. It's not a cowardice of not being willing to stand your ground. In fact, it's just the opposite. Actually, gentleness, for a Christian, gentleness is very much being willing to stand your ground. But our ground is Christ. Our ground is to show Christ. And when you rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. When you rejoice in the Lord, how you treat others naturally is one of gentleness. And they don't see you, they see Christ. So gentleness characterizes the life of one who rejoices in the Lord. But so does peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here we come to another one of those passages where there's a lot of wiggle room. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, actually, not too much wiggle room. Do not be anxious about anything. You see, the world is anxious. The world is actually anxious about everything. Just look at the news. Fear, anxiety, it's everywhere. And how could it not be? I mean, really, if you think about it. How can the world not be anxious about everything? Because you see, the world has no anchor. The world does not seek God. The world does not rejoice in the Lord. For those in the world, the present is all there is. All there is is right now for the world. And right now is scary. That's why you see people struggling, scratching, endeavoring to get theirs right now. Because who knows about tomorrow? The world is anxious about everything. And how, how can it not be? But we, we who rejoice in the Lord, we're not to be anxious about anything. Now that seems kind of tough to me. It seems tough to not be anxious about anything. And perhaps it's tough for you. Perhaps you're sitting in there and you're like... I'm in a storm. I mean, my, my finances are crashing around me. Or I've got so much uncertainty with my family right now that I don't know how I can even get up. Perhaps this is what you're thinking. And this idea of a, a peace seems kind of foreign to you. It, 
And you may be even saying, there's no way I can have such a peace. I think Paul would say a couple things to you. I think he'd say, well, you're right. You, you can't make that peace happen. And then he'd ask you if you're praying. Are you a praying You see, the, the opposite of anxiety, indeed it's relief, it's all, if you will, is found in one thing alone, prayer. I mean, look what Paul says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer, prayer is everything. If you pray about everything, you will be anxious about nothing. If you pray about everything, you will be anxious about nothing. Prayer is amazing. When we pray, when we pray, we are participating in that personal relationship with God. When we pray, we are confessing and admitting our dependence upon God. When we pray, when we pray, we are walking with God. Prayer is an amazing thing. So if, if you're anxious, anxious about something, have you been praying? It's interesting as I was studying this passage, because nowhere in this passage does Paul talk about our prayers or petitions, the concrete things we're asking for, does he talk about them being answered? Does he talk about them being granted? No, the sure result he talks about, the thing he's honed in on, is that when we pray, irrespective of whether that concrete prayer, that concrete request is granted or not, irrespective of this, when we pray, we have peace. This has been very comforting to me. My wife and I have been praying about something that it, it appears the Lord is not going to answer. And that's difficult. But the good news is that by praying, I need not be anxious about it. So even if you're sort of out of step with what God wants in your life, even if you haven't got it all figured out, one thing is certain. When you pray, peace. And it'll happen. There you will be. There you'll be in the midst of a thrown storm when no person in their right mind should have a sense of peace. There you will be. And you'll be at peace. It's not because you're some super stoic philosopher or some Jedi knight with great inner contemplation, you know, ability to weather the storm or have a stiff upper lip. No. You will have a peace, not your peace but a peace which comes from God that doesn't make any sense. That 
transcend all understanding. And just as when we rejoice in the Lord and, and they see the gentleness of Christ in our actions, by rejoicing in the Lord, by focusing on the Lord through prayer, people will see the peace of God in our lives. That's always what it's about. Do they see God in our lives? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. These past few weeks, as we've been studying Philippians, Paul has been working, working with the church at Philippi, working so that they would understand their devotion to God is to be lived out. If our piety is not out of devotion. It's just merely religion. That our devotion to God, our change in being, is reflected by our change in doing. Paul has been so centered on the gospel. So centered on the gospel. Not its content, per se. Paul has not been endeavoring to fix rampant doctrinal error. Remember, this is a church that gets it. But he's been concerned about the gospel in its advance and how it's lived out, how it's expressed. And he's taken us on a path. He has taken us on a path that has brought us through what it means to stand steadfast in the face of opposition. What it means to be united in the one spirit containing us one. He has taken us on a path to understand the importance of humbly serving one another. The importance of obedience. Of being a light to a crooked and depraved generation. He has reminded us of Christ. Of his example on the cross. He's even told us his own story. Paul has done all of this to encourage, to admonish, and to appeal that we might advance the gospel in our lives. That we might behave in a manner appropriate citizens of heaven. As we finish up this study, I'll leave you with one thought. One thought. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Conduct yourselves 